Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm your host, Riley. So glad you've tuned back in uh, once again. We are back with a, a rather unique episode, actually. What you're going to hear is a two-part analysis of the sequel trilogy uh, with a special focus on the rise of Skywalker from my good friend Stephen Kent uh, from Beltway Banthas. And the first part is a, a segment we recorded about sort of the politics of Star Wars and looking ahead at the rise of Skywalker maybe six months ago. And you're going to hear that up front, and then about halfway through the show, we're circling back and you'll hear Steven's thoughts on the rise of Skywalker as someone who was maybe not the biggest fan of the direction that it went. But it's an interesting, fun, and critical discussion where we exchange different ideas and discuss the things we loved and things we didn't love so much about the sequel trilogy and the rise of Skywalker and some of the mythological footprint that it has on the rest of the saga. So without further ado, here we go. All right, and coming back, uh, welcoming back to the Star Wars Report podcast, it's uh, the one and only Mr. Stephen Kent from Beltway Banthas. Stephen, how are you doing, man? Good evening, Riley. Hello from Scarif. I know, right? I'm literally, I'm bugging him on his beach vacation, ladies and gentlemen, and he's still here on the <laughs> Star Wars Report podcast. Uh, I, I would never shirk my duties to the Star Wars Report. It's oh. nice to talk to you. No, absolutely, man. And, and also, by the way, congrats on the, uh, the relaunch of Beltway Banthas. Thank you so much. It's it's great to be back on air and talking about the politics of Star Wars. I'm having a blast already. Sweet. No, uh, well, speaking of the uh, politics of Star Wars, so this is a bit of an experiment that we're doing on the program, um, and we have a couple of these coming up uh, in the in the works, but I'm glad to be kicking it off with you, Stephen. And that is to, to open up some more opportunities to have kind of topical discussions uh, on the Star Wars report because we do like we love covering the news week to week and there's always something going on because there's always a billion yeah. project. But what I realized and I was talking to to uh, our awesome producer uh, and co-host Bruce Gibson about it and that sometimes it doesn't leave as much room for just some of that fan discussion that I almost miss about the earlier days, the pre-Disney days, when there wasn't, you know, seven movies and three TV shows and 17 comics and two video games. It's yeah. like, it is, it's it's so easy to get caught into the uh, It's whirlwind. a lot harder to have topical conversations now because there's so much extra material. Everybody's on a different page, literally, about what they know. And before, we only had three movies to draw from and debate endlessly. Yeah. Uh, and and now you can be like, oh, well, you know, we can debate the themes of The Force Awakens, but, you know, did you read the comic books that, you know, linked into The Force Awakens? You don't have all the information, sir. Uh, it makes it a little <laughs> difficult. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, which is why, and, and this kind of stems from some conversations you, have, you and I have had off air um, here and there. And I thought it'd be an interesting way to kind of bring in uh, one of these discussions and I just wanted to talk to you about the the politics of Star Wars because you're the guy to talk to about this but specifically kind of take again like kind of take a pause from all the stuff that's currently coming out and just kind of look at where Disney has gone and how they incorporate the political themes of Star Wars and 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 how that impacts the story versus what I think one of their most besides Jar Jar Binks, stereotypical criticisms of the prequels, which is the way George Lucas uh, handled it. Um, and I thought I would just start with that kind of broad brush. What do you see as like the, the key differences as, as how Lucas handled um, the politics and the story of the prequels versus what we see now? 
Well, I think the key difference, and, and there are many, but I think the key difference is that George Lucas had a plan. Uh, and I don't mean that as a shot over the bow at Story Group or Disney or anything. It's just that George Lucas had a vision for Star Wars, and it was a, a sort of pre-written story that was going to go a certain way. And he was a guy with some ideology of his own, worldview of his own, and it was it was coherent. It was coherent and cohesive. Uh, Disney is making Star Wars via focus group. And I do believe that they got people in story group who are doing good work and sort of trying to connect the dots as best as they can. But they are trying to make a movie that is going to sell super well, where I think George Lucas was just trying to get his truth out there into the world. Um, and that was very much a sort of, um, uh, I guess you would call it, late, late 20th century liberal uh, perspective on U.S. politics, and um, you know, coming up uh, from the hippie era, yeah, you know, and I think that that sort of bled into all six of his movies in in very large ways. Um, so I, I would say that it's that George Lucas had a plan, and you could sort of trace his ideology through those movies, and you can't so much with these new films. Well, and and how do you th- how do you see that? manifests specifically and i guess we can start with the prequels because when you talk about the politics of the prequels i think often the the temptation and and, and they're certainly there like i'm not denying it, the parallels to real world politics but there is a very mm-hmm. sort of coherent political message that's interwoven through through the story mm-hmm. so i mean it, are you are you asking you know what what about that is like specific with the with the messaging yeah because like yeah because george lucas had a very kind of very specific view of the world that plays through all of the star wars films but um how do you see that manifest itself in the prequels well in the prequels i mean i think that george lucas is just trying to tell the story um of, of how good intentions can spell disaster and i think he's specifically trying to tell that through the course um, of democracy and you know what can go wrong uh, you know when good people are trying to do good things and they don't really think about the ramifications of those actions um, and that sort of you know if, if you ask me like what is the central theme of Star Wars it is sort of the you know the whole road to, the road to hell is paved with good intentions sort of thing um, and we all know some of the historical parallels that he was sort of drawing on the historical references whether that was um, you know whether that was Germany or whether that was Rome um, but, you know, George Lucas sort of saw democracy as a powder keg. And I think in yeah. one of the most telling interviews that he gave to 60 Minutes, I believe it was, was mm. where he actually sort of expressed his his own favoring for the idea of a benevolent dictatorship, um, which is funny because it's sort of one of those moments where you feel in a way like George Lucas is the Anakin in episode uh, two and three, who just sort of wants someone strong and wise to guide the people and take them out of the pains of democracy. Because if there is one thing that is certain about democracy, it is that it is deeply painful and full of uncertainty. Uh, and I think George Lucas very much sort of values, um, I don't know, I think vision and purpose and drive and is very much frustrated and was frustrated with politics in the early 2000s, particularly as we entered the era of Citizens United, unlimited money in politics, which you can sort of see seeping uh, into the prequel films as well. 
I think he just likes central leadership in a way. It's interesting because, like, but it, it, I almost, and this is where I actually think sometimes the politics of the prequels are more nuanced than we like to believe because um, it's 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 literally Anakin pre Darth Vader pre villain of the universe that kind of talks about like, well, if only he like pontificates to Padme. And Padme sort of mm-hmm. the the stand-in, I think, for the con- moral conscience of like, well, yeah, but what if you, you know, who would that be? And he's like, I don't know, me. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think George Lucas understood that tension, and I think he understood that motivation by good actors to want to try to do great and bold things, but then they sort of stumble into being monsters. Um, you know, that kind of goes, I think he, I mean, he, he wrote and kind of talked about how, you know, Darth Vader is a father figure and sort of his own bouts with his, his own father. And a lot of that whole story between Luke and Vader was just sort of centered around George Lucas's antipathy for his own dad. And then sort of realizing at a certain point that you become your father, you become your parent and and it really is the same way uh with political movements when you are an insurgent political movement and then you end up with power you end up kind of becoming uh the people who came before you and he knows that it's sort of the fans that i think are the ones who gloss over this and how complicated it really is um and that george lucas while he has a left of center point of view on star wars or you know he created it he's a left of center guy um that he understood that people who try to do good things and change the world don't always just do it sometimes um they become monsters along the way yeah and i think that's 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 really the sort of becoming the monster along the way is the the operatic side uh, of the prequels, which I think, oh, absolutely, it, and yeah. it ties it ties rather nicely, I think, to the political side. Like they kind of go hand in hand because the real story and tragedy of the prequels is the rise and is the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker, right? Yeah, it's, and it, it's, and it can't it can't be overstated how much that is the most important thing of Star Wars. And you know, my entire my entire Star Wars podcasting life is based around the politics of Star Wars, but I, I like to try to remind people that this is a character-first saga, regardless of how much I try to make it about politics. The politics are backdrop. The politics are inspiring to the series. But George Lucas is is making this about his characters. It's about Anakin Skywalker and a single individual. And sort of all the other materials or stuff that add to the context and make it more rich and make it more full and make it more interesting. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I do like to try to be honest when I say that. Like, I really think it's a character-driven story and, and I think George was clear many times that that's what he wanted it to be. And if you want to look deeper, the politics of Star Wars are there for you. Um, but, you know, he had a plan and it shows throughout his three movies. And I, I think my concern with where we kind of are is that, I don't know, it feels like every Star Wars movie right now is sort of being made in response to the last one. Um, you know, checking how it sold, checking how it was reviewed and then adjusting the story accordingly bringing on different directors back and forth and you can sort of feel the scattered vision yeah well and it's and and that plays i think across the whole movie not just the the political world of it but it's i i want to kind of sink in our teeth into an example of where that the political side of the prequels ties into the operatic side of course the rise and fall of anakin skywalker the guy is tied to the rise and fall of the old republic and the first time 
reminder, the first time we hear about the Old Republic, a, a, a political entity, it's not from the prequels, it's from the very original Star Wars film, where Obi-Wan, you know, opines of the days, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. And so I think they're, even for kids who grew up with the original films, that allusion to a former time, a, a time of the this sort of alluding to the the Greek representative republic or the Roman uh, republic, it's 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 right there even in the original films and and funny enough even though he's the subject of some consternation the the really the beginning of the end of the republic falls in this scene we'll take a little listen right here. I love democracy. <laughs> I love the republic. Do you? Power give me, I will lay down when this crisis has abated. And there, and so, JK. It, and so it begins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> right there, you know, it's it's the politics of, of good intentions, and you know, listen, I I never I never try to mask it with my own listeners in in Beltway Banthas and anywhere else. I'm a libertarian, and so I I just sort of look, and I, that clip in particular is just the naivete i think of people thinking that they can give up things that they're ever going to get back uh in government you know you have to hold a strong line on certain rights and certain powers uh and when you let things slip into the hands of of people in government it's just you never guarantee that you're going to get it back and it's also a lesson about the politics of fear um, you know, the fact that people were just so afraid during the separatist crisis, just horrified at the idea that any <laughs> systems would actually leave the republic and that they needed to be fearful of this. You know, demagogues prey on our fear all the time. I think yeah. everybody feels that uh, in our country right now. Yeah, and that's uh, that's and a pretty nonpartisan. Dangerous. Yeah, it's a pretty nonpartisan part of politics, and it plays out in. Um in the prequels very vividly. Oh, it does. It does. Um, you know, fear is the, the beginning of the path to the dark side. And I think if there is a political lesson that runs most strong through, uh, episodes one through six, uh, it is what fear can do in your own life to destroy who you are. And then also just people around you. And so you apply that to the body politic. Um, you know, fear is just the drug that makes everything, go crazy um you know I, I guess you could you could touch on all sorts of examples from the post 9-11 era um you know cracking down way too much in our own our own society on things that you know happen incredibly rarely acting like everything is an epidemic when things are actually rare outlier events um you know trying to craft societies where we feel safe all the time rather than being honest with people who live uh, in your society and saying like, hey, the world is dangerous and you can't make everything safe and secure 100% of the time. You know, Star Wars dealt with this. Star Wars touched on this directly. And it sort of just feels to me like a lesson that we always walk away from in Star Wars is that fear is the enemy. And mm. then we turn around on our own political bubbles and freak out about everything that they want us to be afraid of, mm. whether that's they want us to be afraid of yeah. terrorism. They want us to be afraid of our neighbor with guns. They want us to be afraid of immigrants. No, just live yeah. your life. <laughs> just live your life and try to be calm as I rant loudly, <laughs> yes. um, you know. <laughs> well, but it's interesting because 
like um kind of looking at the story itself like that really is a pretty clear message from from lucas and i and he came out of the time because like it's it's even and it's funny because like i don't like getting into current world politics because there's so much fear and anger wrapped into that but just just rewind a little bit to george lucas's story coming out of his time in vietnam mm-hmm. and it, it you, you see the sort of the the fears that were stoked um and and the I, almost depression of society and filmmaking that that was why lucas said hey i want to write a fairy tale for the next generation because there aren't any right now and yeah, um, but it's yeah. only going to be so much of a fairy tale he still wants to pe- keep people grounded in the lessons that he wants them to take away yeah no it's true uh, and you and you mentioned it in brief phrase the safety and security that's where it really comes full circle let's uh, take a listen right here but I my resolve has never been stronger Again, quite literally juxtaposing the death and destruction against. In order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire. And secure society. One hand, wait for it, and two hands. He's like, Palpatine is like, I am nailing this. He's so happy right this now. This is going great. He's so happy. And we also got to hear the sounds of Anakin removing money from politics. Great stuff. <laughs> I never thought about that. No. I I talk about it all the time. Anakin Anakin finally defeated Citizens right? United. Right, these corporations, <laughs> corporate greed. I can I. All right, a little confession time here. Let me uh, step into the old Star Wars report confessional. I always felt a little sorry for um, Newt Gunray there. Saying like, no. No, I mean you 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 can uh, you can buy it for sure. Uh, you know, I guess I guess Newt Gunray. I don't feel as bad for because we see throughout three movies how just scummy he is. Um, but you know, there there are separatists uh, who you know were really invested in that movement, thought they were doing a good thing, and you know, yada yada yada. Newt Gunray. Eh, I don't know. The banking clan will sign the treaty. Um, <laughs> well, so we kind of we 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 sort of uh, I guess uh, that's a good foundation to kind of set up. Uh, and I know you kind of alluded to the comparison, but it's interesting that uh, politics I think were kind of pushed to the back burner a little bit. Certainly in the Force Awakens. Oh, I I, I would absolutely agree. Um, the fact that the entire New Republic was decimated and blown to smithereens without any sort of backdrop to explain exactly what that body is, how it works, who put it together. And, you know, you have to find out in the books that Leia actually served in the New Republic um, and is currently like a rogue sort of resistance uh, general um, who's been sort of watchdogging the First Order as they rose in the Outer Rim. 
you know, you just don't get any of that. And you also don't understand where the First Order came from. And I, I listen, like casual fans, you know, just people who don't watch Star Wars every weekend and they just go and the movies come out. I can't tell you how many people thought that the movie was picking up where the last one left off and this was The Empire. And I had to explain to people like, uh, no, there's actually are different stormtroopers. And they're like, well, why did their mask change? And I go, because they're not The Empire. They're like, but they're stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, it's and that's that's where you just kind of have to beat your head against a wall because you don't know whether or not they got overruled internally on, hey, we need to keep stormtroopers going on the toy shelves because, you know, that's Star Wars. Hmm. Or if they really really had a principled case for why stormtroopers needed to be the, the brand of soldier in the First Order. But the reasons, if you get into the details, which I think the story group does a good job of cleaning up is why there are stormtroopers, why there are these sort of imperial or neo-imperial people roaming the galaxy. It's super interesting, but none of that is in the movies. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the other aspect I think that it gives birth to is, and I think this is more clearly the part than the background of the politics or how things are actually functioning um, is the, the elements the radical elements like because they do talk about how the resistance is kind of they're not really approved yeah uh, they're considered they're, they're way too fear-mongering they're worried about the first order they're not willing to negotiate but then we also see like the first order is is no i mean it's it's almost like worse than the empire more radical less capable I, well, yeah. but more I, radical i think they absolutely are and so here is where I would say that you know that that the Disney era has something really really right about the politics of today which is that we are sort of in this moment uh, where the the 20th century look of politics you know yeah. uh, communist versus fascists and uh, democracy you know capitalism versus communism stuff like that like all those sort of old paradigms are sort of breaking down and new things are forming and some of them are much more radical and much more scary um, and if you look at the the new movies, it is a chaotic world. Um, it, it's sort of it feels sort of terroristic in a way, uh, and I, I think that definitely feels like Star Wars based truly in the mature years of the War on Terror. And the 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 First Order in many ways echoes sort of a, a rogue nuclear regime, Iran, North Korea. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they also sort of have the terroristic elements. I think of 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 white nationalist movements uh, very much so. I think that they are definitely sort of neo fascists, um, and they're they're very scary and they're very unpredictable. And I feel like that's the era that we live in, mm. where we're not talking about state power versus state power. We're talking about um, terror groups, yeah. um, and it's it's just unpredictable. Well, and and that kind of and that kind of violent struggle. Um, the state versus state, the 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 will of a nation versus the will of a nation. Um, I mean, there's. I, it, it's interesting because I, I and this is just Riley's worldview, but like you see, evil manifest in both eras, like the world, mm-hmm. the world wars versus the radical non-state um, actors. Now you see evil manifest, and and that doesn't change, and that's in society and culture and storytelling hasn't changed. But you're right. There's something specific about the time we're in, and 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 Disney is has, is reflecting this in this uh, films. To I think their credit, I think it 
it resonates more. It's why I think the first order to me, as much as people like make jokes about Kylo Ren, you know, being yeah. a fussy brat and that sort of thing. Like, I really think that's the most interesting part of the first order. Like the idea of even just visually, you can see the sort of steady imperialist officer from the old empire and Captain Canada on the bridge in The mm -hmm. Last Jedi and his wits about him. And then you sort of just see this, this the chaotic sprites who aren't as well trained and just like really passionate, but you know, don't know well, what they're you doing. Know, they're not as well trained and they're really just there because their daddies were imperial officers and they're just mad that they ended up getting tribunaled or something after the end of the original war. Yeah, They're just a bunch of silver spoon rich kids who are just mad that the empire fell apart and they don't have a galaxy to rule uh, in this sort of new order. They feel like they were robbed of something when the empire fell and the new republic rose. And look, I think that that is what is important about the politics of the new movies as much uh, as in the backdrop as they are, is that these new movies remind us that things come back. You know, evil is never truly dead. Um, these movements that you think died in the 20th century, they're not dead. Uh, you've got, I mean, look, I mean, just this past weekend in Portland, you have commies and fascists fighting in the streets with clubs and bricks. Yeah. Um, this is, I mean, you, you would think that we are living in the 1930s, but we're not. We're living in 2019, and after sort of 50 years of peace and quiet uh, from these fringe political movements, they're back. And it is I think it's just really interesting timing that Star Wars is back at this time um, and they're sort of telling us the same thing, um, you know, that the Empire can rise again. And it's really chilling stuff. And I think it just should make us all feel yeah. um, vigilant. You know? Well, for sure. I mean, and, and that's not it's not even just in the movie itself. J.J. Abrams um, in a Time magazine interview in 2015 talked about, quote, just uh, straight from him. Um, this all came out of conversations about what would have happened if the Nazis all went to Argentina, but then started working together again. What could have been born of that? Could the First yeah. Order exist as a group that actually admired the Empire? Uh, could the work of the Empire be seen as unfulfilled and Vader be seen as a martyr? And that, to me, is a real opportunity for Rise of Skywalker. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you see the, the work of Vader as unfinished, that undoing the work of Vader, undoing the Empire, is what the initial rise of Skywalker was all about. So uh, Yeah, and I don't want to get out ahead of you and, and kind of say what I want to see oh, in the rise of Skywalker. I, I think that's a great uh, way to kind of like put a pin in it, is, is kind of like look ahead to the, the rise of Skywalker coming out here soon. Yeah, I mean, what I want to see, just focusing on the politics and sort of the message that we've touched on here, is that there has to be an awakening uh, within the First Order and within Kylo Ren about the great lie about what the Empire was and who the First Order really is. You know, Finn is the first person to wake up in the whole series yeah. or in the entire new trilogy. He wakes up from brainwashing as a stormtrooper and realizes who he really is. And frankly, it's going to be a huge mistake, in my opinion, if the if the Resistance or you know Ray and Jedi that they just 
they beat the First Order, that they annihilate them. That completely uh, removes the fact that those soldiers are brainwashed. (laughs) You know, like those soldiers are brainwashed. The only way for this to end, this cycle of violence and these rise of like new hateful groups to end, is for them to wake up and be shown the truth. And so Kylo, I think he needs to meet Anakin Skywalker. I really want the Hayden Christensen mm. comeback. I want to see oh, that okay. Force ghost. Yes, I do. I want to see that Force ghost. And I want someone to tell Kylo Ren he was lied to, right? Yeah. Like, how can he, he live in this lie about Darth Vader when Anakin could come back and tell him that it's all a crock? Hey, bro. <laughs> hey, uh, <clears throat> I know, right? BT dubs. Like, like that would be really, really cool. And and frankly, if we are in the world now where we're sort of acknowledging the prequels again, thank the force, then yes, Hayden Christensen should be brought back in, force ghost in, Skype with Kylo Ren and sort of tell him something about, I don't know, this, you know, this empire and this, this Darth Vader that he thinks he knows mm. um, and tell him the truth. And for the stormtroopers and, you know, these guys in the First Order, you know, the Huxes and the leaders at the top, they need that to be really, taken out. Dude. But the, sto- the stormtroopers, it has to be an internal rebellion. The only yeah. thing that can destroy the First Order and empire for generations to come is for the First Order to undo itself. Jeez. You, and it, that, op- that opens two, I think, equally interesting story opportunities because you have then that's Kylo's chance to, one, embrace... Uh, embrace darkness and even embrace the sort of cynical Obi-Wan who had given up that that indeed Anakin Skywalker killed Vader and that he hates Anakin because if he's facing Anakin he can look at him as yeah. one the true version of Vader redeemed or he can see him as the 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 murderer of Vader and and <laughs> both the, right but I think both of those are like equally interesting because one he really truly becomes the the villain um and the other kind of exposes kind of what we've been talking about of like how you actually get to the root of of this kind of evil which i i mean i'd be about that you've listen you've got me sold i'm gonna write it down and if rise of skywalker isn't exactly like it i'm complaining on reddit yep i'm gonna leave a bad review that's a bad yelp review on (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Uh, steven thank you so much for coming on the star wars report Well, hey, I just wanted to take a quick time out to say thank you and a big shout out to every single one of you guys supporting us at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Check out everything that we have available, specifically Rogue Transmissions, our weekly bonus podcast. I literally just posted a little content update, episode 99, almost 200 episodes of Rogue Transmissions titled The Star Wars That I Used to Know. It's talking about Clone Wars, uh reminiscing about old podcasts, the early days of Riley getting into fandom. Good times. Joe and Nathan were on there. They're fine patron supporters of us at the Bothan High Council level. Uh, That's where you can join us on these roundtables. Also, uh, Rogue Transmissions, of course, that's just the $5 level where you can get the bonus podcast or the tip jar jar, which I think might be my favorite level just because of the pun. Check it out at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report.
All right, we're back, folks. Uh, you just heard it's it's a jump forward in time. Time travel. Who says that doesn't happen in Star Wars? Um, hey, remember? <laughs> this reminds me. the um, When everyone thought in the rumors that it was going to be the world between worlds, that was going to be Rise of Skywalker. Uh, well, it wasn't. Uh, but we're here to talk about what it actually was with the man who you just heard six months ago. Welcome back to the show. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report podcast, Mr. Stephen Kent. Wow, I don't even know what timeline I'm in, Riley. <laughs> I, am I even real? Am I here right now? I also sprung this on you, right? As I was, you were scheduled on the show this week, but it's like, oh, we got to follow up. We got to follow up on this segment that we did uh, back in August, because, and and I realized the audience just had the privilege of listening to it all, and then you're, I'm putting it upon you to remember what you said six months ago. So I'm going to kind of start with a couple prompts here. But Whatever we were... I said <laughs> was probably brilliant. Exactly. Uh, and I will not even be able to keep up with my own thoughts. But we'll... <laughs> <That's> we'll... <laughs> Competing. Let's, Stephen on Stephen, exactly. review your own ideas. Exactly. But we, we were talking a lot about the storytelling of the sequel trilogy at the time, and, and I think even then you had a pretty good sense of some of the challenges that were coming forward with Rise of Skywalker, specifically the idea of one movie being a reaction to the to the next, being a reaction to the next, but we 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 kind of landed there. I just want to start right there uh, before we go anywhere else um, with your thoughts on Rise of Skywalker as it you know played out the remainder of the saga because we've talked a lot about. I mean, that's really been the last few weeks on the show has been breaking down and reacting to each element of the story of rise of skywalker and and what worked and what didn't but i just want to kind of get your big picture on the the trilogy the sequel trilogy as it now stands hmm. well i gotta i gotta be honest and say that I'm, I'm just not really in a place of optimism on how this trilogy wound down um my thoughts were in december and in january and remain here in february that Star Wars and the rise of Skywalker became afraid of its own shadow and mm. afraid of the challenge of, you know, leaving leaving the nest that George Lucas had built for it. Um, and as soon as they got the courage to do so and sort of chart their own path uh, with the rise of uh, or excuse me, the Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I view The Rise of Skywalker as relenting in the face of a lot of pressure and fear and uh, doubt about the future of Star Wars, and they fell back on safety. And I think that safety actually ended up being uh, incredibly ugly, um, ham-fisted, and a not good way to to end <laughs> Star Wars um, on a lot of different notes. I, I, I feel sometimes like an outlier in that mm. I loved The Force Awakens, and I loved The Last Jedi. Um, not like loved, loved, but I did love it. Um, and The Rise of Skywalker uh, struck back against both of those movies, which didn't even make sense to me that like J.J. Oh, Abrams would almost be like at odds with some of his own work on mm. the Star Wars trilogy. It just, it was, just wasn't bold and it wasn't brave. And uh, I, I don't like that. What's well, it? And that's one reason I wanted to have you on because I, I'm 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 interested in getting well thought out different perspectives on the film because, uh, I mean, largely from the personalities on the show so far, including myself, I I really liked the rise of Skywalker. I thought, yeah, it, I know, and I, I hate I hate being a buzzkill. <laughs> no, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I actually really do want to explore the sort of the what now feeling that I think a lot of fandom has because I think it's perfect. I think this is a really good exercise to dig into the mythology and 
and what feels complete and what doesn't. Because I will say, there, I think you and I are on the same page in that there is a sense of incompleteness in some areas where they failed, like you say, kind of failed to go that extra mile. But I want to zoom in on what you're talking about there for a second, because um, I've heard plenty of in very on-the-nose um, comparisons to how this film kind of rejects The Last Jedi. I, In what ways do you think it departs from The Force Awakens? I think it departs from The Force Awakens in style more than mm. substance in mm. terms of like what the story uh, being told was. Um, so mostly J.J. Abrams and sort of how he went out and did this massive press tour, which was slightly anti-George Lucas and anti-prequel in its overtones about how they were going to take Star Wars back to the basics. It was going to be oh, yeah. all about practical effects and making Star Wars feel like Star Wars again. And, and the the subtext of that reading between the lines was that Star Wars since 1999 uh, has not been Star Wars that people loved. And I always resented that, uh, that sort of angle of his press tour. But, you know, whatever, that's fine. Everybody really wanted a mm. nostalgic moment for the Star Wars franchise and to go back to the basics. And they did that successfully. The original trilogy and The Force Awakens share a lot in terms of their look and style and feel, uh, almost down to, um, uh, I would say, maybe overstepping a little bit. You know, there was a lot of comparisons about The Force Awakens being a rehash of a new hope but my running analysis of that had been that it was a uh, recap of the entire original trilogy all wrapped up in one movie not just a beat for beat remake of a new hope mm. and the rise of skywalker i think took us almost back to attack of the clones territory in terms of its excesses its sort of visual overload its inability to be disciplined um, and really sort of fell into the worst traps, I think, of big end-of-days uh, supervillain Marvel movies. Um, I'm looking at the Avengers when I say that. Mm. Uh, and, and really took me out of the universe that they had been building, which was quiet, relatively gritty, um, and, and practical, that The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens had been living in and the rise of Skywalker was, was something entirely different. There are obviously a couple exceptions and a couple scenes that, um, are really well done and I think really well put together, but I will never get over Exegol. Um, <laughs> and I will never be able to forgive what went on in the last 30 minutes of that movie in terms of what I wanted from it. Mm. And that's, that's kind of where the subjectivity comes in. Uh, sure. I worship at the, I worship at the throne of the emperor and m the mishandling of, him uh, and Exegol and the the whatever that Sith army was that he was commanding that came out of the ice that to me was like the really egregious sin for me personally as a fan um, and so that's kind of where I get off the train oh interesting because for me it wasn't Exegol there were certain key moments that I felt were cheapened by the pace and by the um, like the flurry and uh, the oversaturation I guess of yeah. of the of the film uh, to me, the main one that comes to mind is is Leia's death. It, se it seemed mm -hmm. very rushed. I, I, even coming out of the first screening, Exegol for me, I'm it, it was one of those things where for the Emperor himself coming back, I I appreciated that. I think that was the best way to. T I, I I I I was trying to think. I couldn't think of a within like Riley's head canon what I would personally prefer. But I can certainly poke well, some flaws I mean, can in I, can I, coming can back. I, yeah. Can I just cut in there and just yeah. say, like, 
what would you personally prefer? I mean, at the end of The Last Jedi, they made Kylo Ren the supreme leader of the First Order. Mm. The First Order, which had been the bad guy entity mm. for the course of this entire trilogy. And they, they demanded that we take them seriously. They demanded that we took that faction as a serious player in galactic affairs, only to minimize them to the point of being patsy toadstools I'm in the, the rise spy. of Skywalker <laughs> and stripping stripping Kylo Ren of his of his role as like mm. you know the rising baddie that's like, fair well I, I <laughs> and that gets into yeah. the previous segment because you taught the the idea is 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 Ben is inextricably connected to Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader especially in yeah. the Force Awakens it's the the grandfather um and and he's linked there and as we were just talking about uh, back in August, the the idea of of you know his belief in who Darth Vader is 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 a farce. Now he's he's been redeemed. Yeah. He turned. He's no longer the the Sith. He's he's a Force ghost who could probably come back and correct the record himself. We don't see that. We see the we see an appearance of Anakin Skywalker, but we don't see him be the central role instead we get well i think it was very satisfying the the crux of the final act of the film seemed to depend more on we we're talking about this in the last episode but more on ray's identity who she chooses to be versus ben's identity ben's identity or kind of crisis of identity is in that middle act and it's powerful like seeing his father uh, his father's memory sort of you know relived i think it's an incredibly powerful scene but it's not the driving force is, of yeah. this movie yeah, um, I, I still, to this day, I'm not really sure how we got to that point of self-reflection by Kylo Ren. It, it just was not clear to me that he was headed to that point of reliving that memory and then making a different choice. Um, I am still sort of wobbly on where Kylo Ren saw the lie in everything that he had been living and everything that he had been taught. Um you know, uh, over the past couple of years by, by Supreme Leader Snoke. And to, to kind of in a throwaway line, you know, have Palpatine say like, I, you know, I was Snoke. I was every voice that you ever heard in your head. Um, and then, you know, you know, Snoke's in a jar. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand, I guess, how, how Ben or Kylo Ren didn't just walk out the door like right there. <laughs> Hmm. you know i it it just was not his thought process was not clear to me now going back and watching simply just his redemptive you know choice on board that ship or or outside the scraps of the death star out on the on the the water i i i I resonate with that and that that scene was really powerful and really well done i think important um but just in terms of like him grappling with Mm. darth vader's legacy who he had worshipped they kind of just let that go well let's let's talk about like structure of storytelling because i i wanted to because i think you raise a really interesting point because that's probably where there was the most potential and 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 unused potential is in ben's story kylo's story i you know when ray says you know i wanted it was ben i was reaching out to that's powerful but we don't get that background as much and and if you look at let's just jump all the way back to the original the the joseph campbell 
you know, Star Wars story structure, that final act, everything mm-hmm. sort of converges in a moment. And it's Han Solo's redemption is tied in literally in the exact same moments as Luke fulfilling his hero's journey when he blows up the Death Star and Obi-Wan speaking to him. You're all, you're, yeah. you know, great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Uh, you get, it's this really satisfying uh, end of a character arc. And I think by virtue of J.J. Abrams literally sort of cramming two movies into one it breaks up that structure i i think where i sort of in as a fan i think was able to or for at least the way the story reached me as a fan there are these sort of gaps that i think i filled in as i was watching it and it's this is a very experiential and and you know based on each individual's person's take on the on the story but i'll, I'll grant you there's there's this sort of disjointed nature of like if ben's redemptive redemption arc was tied into the end confrontation with Palpatine and we had more of a buildup and maybe a betrayal of Palpatine that would push him more in that direction. I think there's, that would be a more, and I, I sometimes hate when people use this word, but I can't think of a better way. That's a more Star Warsy kind of structure maybe. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not a big structuralist when it comes to Star Wars. I'm not one of those people who kind of looks at like the ring theory super seriously and kind of how, you know, there are certain beats that happen in different parts of every movie that line up like literally by time signature. When this character is redeemed, it's the same time another character is redeemed in the next movie. Like I I really – like. I really appreciated the sentiment of The Last Jedi, which was like it's time to throw a lot of this assumptions out about what Star Wars is supposed to be, how it's supposed to feel, how the movies are supposed to be structured in terms of timeline. Um, you, you can't you can't build a trilogy with no clear direction um, from mm. the beginning to the end. Yeah. and and it it just. Again, it's a, it becomes a, a movie, a set of movies that is at war with itself. And I don't know how you're supposed to like ignore it and and just be like, oh, this is okay. Like this all, all is cohesive and makes sense when it clearly doesn't. And and even like down to the supporting characters, you hear a lot about the the question of Finn and Rose. I mean, you can't just ignore and let go that you get like a love arc set up over the course of an entire movie between two now main characters rose and finn and then shelve the two characters particularly rose like almost entirely in the final movie because you have to make room for other stuff that makes people feel happy about how star wars is supposed to be I, I have major issues with that, and it's not because I liked either character particularly. It's just because it was disloyal to itself, mm. um, and that's what concerned me the most. Just watching it, and and every time I've watched it, I just feel that. And it's the it's the Leia thing, right? We love Carrie Fisher. We love Leia. My God, like it was a tragedy that she died before this this uh, this series was over. But the movie was saddled by her memory and saddled by her legacy in a way that I don't think they figured out how to sort out. You know, they 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 have said multiple times that the actors on the the resistance base had to basically like read lines into cuts of Leia from previous movies and make that into a movie. I think I think that's not the right choice. Mm. It was never the it was never the right choice to base a movie around um, old cuts and B scene B roll of Leia from The Force Awakens. 
because then you're just like hamstringing your movie of being creative and being what it needs to be. They should have let her go, let her go. Like, I mean like literally in the opening crawl. Mm. Um, and I, maybe I've gone on a tangent here and I brought up a lot of other issues that you weren't no, no, referring no. to, but you know, I, I think, I think star Wars just really like maxed out in the rise of Skywalker on an attempt to be meaningful and cohesive. And it just ended up being a, a, you know, just giant, puddle of spilled paint <laughs> wow. well uh, you know and I, I i i like the painting though <laughs> <laughs> i always like the painting it was uh it was abstract art you know it was abstract art there you go well and that's and that is the i think that's this central uh maybe maybe dis- not you know this central um alternative perspectives that you and i have on this specifically is i like is, how you avoided saying disagreement well <laughs> Uh, you know, in the age of politics, you know, the reason I think that you're a bad person is that <laughs> no, um, no, because I just think what J.J. Abrams was able to do was was take uh, in in a way that's I I think nearly triumphant is his ability to um, bring um, Luke's character and the the Jedi Order and that pat that. Portion of, and and Leia's character as 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 what's the word I'm looking for as as stuffy and kind of weird as it was, the hand he was dealt, his ability to wrap Leia's story into Ben's story, ham fist yes, fast paced yes, but his ability to wrap Luke's story into uh, Ray's story, um, and really make the Skywalker name Luke and Leia uh, as Skywalkers be the legacy of what the future of the Jedi order is. I, I think that that portion that what JJ Abrams is able to do there was, was quite an accomplishment. I don't think that discounts your criticisms like by, by any yeah, stretch. No, I, and but. I, think, I think that you are, you're right to a certain extent there. And, and he did one of the things that I was really hoping for, which was that Ray was going to like name herself a Skywalker just by nature of like the principle of it and mm. and sort of you know love of the family and so the skywalker legacy then becomes non-familial it becomes an association it becomes an identification for mm. your belief uh, in the force and the belief of how the how the universe should be ordered yeah i thought that was really great and it was exactly what i was rooting for um and and i think he actually did it uh, very beautifully um yeah. but you know like dealing with the ha- or you know working with the hand that you're dealt right mm. I would I would almost think of that as not like a card analogy, but like, you know, fate sort of reached its hand out like Kylo Ren to Rey in The Last Jedi, and he, he took it. And I don't think he should have taken it. I think he said, like, this is the hand I was dealt. I'm going to say no to this hand altogether <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and tell the story that he wanted and, and needed to be told at that time, not what he thought Star Wars fans needed. Mm. And telling the story that Star Wars fans think they needed um, – is is ultimately i think a dead end road yeah where do you think where do you think this leaves uh fandom because that's something you're really you are uh really plugged into is is, is in, in through fan culture we find ourselves in kind of an odd place where you know it didn't do great that that great amongst the critics but largely speaking i think rise of skywalker's gotten a fairly positive reaction from the fan community as yeah, much as you I, can in today's day and age 
Yeah, and honestly, I I feel surprised and kind of like like I've been pantsed by the whole thing because I have kind of been standing these uh, these most recent movies, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, and and been very complimentary of both of them. And then to kind of be like an outlier, I was like, oh, actually, like this was really ended poorly. Most of the fan community is been relatively pleased uh, um, everybody in all their little subgroups got things that they wanted and I think that that is maybe where I am not represented because the little things that I wanted were not as important as what I wanted Star Wars to be which was just like brave and original yeah um, I still say I didn't I didn't I didn't have a wish list besides yeah. Palpatine being treated well <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the only thing I'm not a yeah. Raylo and I'm not one of these you mm. know social justice types who like wanted Star Wars to look one single way and and the opposite of that like I just wanted Palpatine to be treated well and that was not what happened hmm. um, and so th- that was just a pointing that's but um you know the fan community and also general audiences uh, general audience has been pretty pleased like i've talked to just a lot of normies and people who did not like these recent two star wars movies and they left there really happy and i think it might just be like the avengers effect like it's just because i don't understand the avengers movies and the appeal of them mm. but it seems like average folks on the street really enjoyed the rise of skywalker because of what I think it was, which was a sugar rush. Um, and I think people do like sugar rushes. I did say, I did <laughs> so. come out of the theater. My sort of take right, coming right out of the press screening was, um, it was, a, I, have a, I have a huge Star Wars sweet tooth, but even I had a sugar rush by the end of it. That's quite literally what I said. And the other mm-hmm. thing I said is the kiss was dumb. I did think that was <laughs> that moment. And I, that's been ever since the I first saw it was something I thought, thought was forced and awkward. But, you know, it did, it, it's, it's done reasonably well at the box office um i think as much of a crowd pleaser as it can be but i also think it's it's that delightful i must say absolutely delightful lid on this era of star wars and i think that's a really good thing because now we have the mandalorian we have clone wars we have comics and books. We have Bob Iger being like, "Yeah, we'll make a movie in 5 years." <laughs> you know, i think there's this this yeah, but that's breathe. a reflection of it not being handled well. The the idea that you know we are now kind of going to be entering a um, a goodbye time for Star Wars and sort of a resetting is because this didn't go as planned. Yeah. Every movie faced perpetual decline uh, and declining excitement, and that's incredibly worrisome. I mean, I I been in Star Wars fandom as as long as I have been able to speak (laughs) and I've just never really seen it this like pacified in a weird kind of cold way I feel like Star Wars is weaker than it was before and it has a part to do with the legitimacy crisis that it's facing with uh you know in the Disney era and sort of losing its you know foundering its founding father and its you know sort of guiding light there I just I don't know that the future is strong for Star Wars and it's turned towards television and away from the silver screen while exciting I don't think is like a sign of its success I think it's trying to rediscover itself and it's Mm. not for no reason well I think so and I I, it's one of those things I I see the exact same symptoms but I I think that's I think it's an extraordinarily good thing because I think the alternative of just rushing forward with more spinoff films with more yeah whatever the hot young director is was the exact wrong thing to do and and this is the thing I agree Star Wars 
the Force Awakens, we have to recognize as as Star Wars fans who've been plugged into this community since you know we're we're kids of the prequel era. But you know we've been plugged in this for a while, and then the OT folks, you guys have been plugged into it even longer. But we're <laughs> not the norm. Like the Force Awakens skyrocketed Star Wars back into the mainstream of pop culture, and now it's it's fading into the background. And I that's an extraordinarily good thing because I think it gives. Star Wars is far too important, I think, and has far too much potential um, as a story and as a mythology to have it just be an endless franchise. And I, so, the, yes, I don't know exactly what the future movies will be or, or how yeah. they're going to treat them, but I think this breathing time, this ability to fade back into the background, for me, and I think for us as the hardcore fan community, it's a good thing. Because the, oh, the, the stakes go down. Unquestionably a good thing. And I, I think that again we we totally agree like it is really good that it's kind of kind of go through this quiet time now of, of reflection and kind of re-strategizing it's exactly what it needs and we don't need more standalone movies solo was like a good movie but it was the movie that star wars fandom wasn't asking for mm. um and, it, and they overstepped the market demand for star wars it's not avengers it's not marvel or dc um star wars has to be more meticulous and let it breathe uh but again, we're not entering the quiet period because things have gone well. Um, it's yeah. been a failed experiment thus far. And so I think we just have to acknowledge that and say like, yes, like it's really great that Star Wars is going to rethink its future. It's going to kind of focus on television and maybe this High Republic era. But, you know, there were supposed to be movies coming out like this year and next year. And they're gone now because... <laughs> It's uh, it's sort of just like doesn't know what it needs to do anymore to get people to buy those tickets. Um, and I think the answer might have always been that it was not correct to play in the sandbox of the original trilogy because it is just too bogged down by people's emotional baggage, right? Mm. And and the original story that has no connection to the emotional baggage of before had a better chance. Um, and I think they rolled the dice on the original trilogy sequel idea. Uh, but I think it, uh, it, it did not work. Mm. Well, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating time to be a star Wars fan. And, and, and you're right. Cause we're talking about these symptoms and the problems, even though we have different views on, on some of the storytelling choices and that sort of thing where we find ourselves now. I mean, it's my my favorite moments as a hardcore Star Wars fan. Um, and some of my favorite memories have absolutely nothing to do with how popular the franchise was at the time in theaters. No, it never. Was, yeah, and I, mean, I think that'll I think be really good for like all right? of us, like, like on the in the podcasting world and all that. I think it's a really it's 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 going to be a really good when, chance. When you and I were young, Lord of the Rings was the thing. Oh yeah, like uh-huh. yep. mm-hmm. if you if you liked the prequels and you were like really down on Star Wars one, two, and three while everybody was watching the fellowship of the ring through return of the king like you were the weirdo and you had bad taste <laughs> that's true <laughs> but that was us yeah that's true that's true well mr Stephen Kent, i really no, seriously i really appreciate your perspective because i think you uh, it it was really interesting to kind of tackle this 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 crazy movie it's it's a lot of conversation but i like the conversation around it because i think it's it is more nuanced and uh and it, there's this sort of sense of satisfaction to you're like we're, we're there's no well it depends on what happens in the next movie there's a lot of that part in the last jedi debates but uh i it's kind of it's kind of fun to discuss the end of a star wars era it's kind of relieving actually so thanks for being a part of that tell everybody uh where they can find you on the internet and what you're up to in the world of star wars 
Yeah, totally. And I hope I wasn't too much of a buzzkill for your audience. And I hope you all enjoyed the uh, the back and forth and the open dialogue yeah. between two people who can, uh, you know, just have fun, have fun dishing on Star Wars and uh, and disagreeing. And that's all that matters. You can find me uh, on Twitter, of course, at Stephen underscore Kent eight nine and at Beltway Banthas is my podcast. We talk about Star Wars, politics, and more. That's Beltway Banthas podcast. Nice. Uh, easy to find. We'll have links for it here in the show notes for episode uh, 421. We'll be back next week uh, to our regular, regularly scheduled format. Uh, so stay, stay tuned here on the Star Wars Report every Wednesday morning now on the new schedule. But uh, we'll be back soon. Of course, follow the show at Star Wars Report. Uh, to StarWarsReport.com. That's where you'll find the show notes and the links to everything that we've been talking about. And uh, you can also follow us across social media. It's at Star Wars Report on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Star Wars Report. And then, of course, I'm at the Riley Guy, R I L E Y. You can follow me on uh, eh, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram's really the, the spot I'm hanging out most these days, but uh, you can follow me there, start a dialogue. Uh, shoot us an email. We've got a, uh, we're piling up another uh, mailbag episode here in the near future. So uh, email us, Star Wars Report at gmail.com. We'll get to it here on the show. And until next time, may the force be with you. And remember, Many Bothans died to bring you this podcast. <laughs> or, Joe, or Joe Biden's campaign died. To bring... <laughs> uh, what is, what's, what's the latest? New, let's see. New Hampshire. Uh, yeah. what's, it's over. I think uh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Uh,